Thank you once again for tuning into the Psychedelic Comrades podcast, where we dive deep into the human mind and provide one another with the occasional lobotomy. Today, we're discussing something we can all relate to, our beloved screens. So between our personal experiences and opinions, plus a whole bunch of laughter, stick around to learn a thing or five. Let's welcome our hosts, Don, Rob, Nico, and Tina Marie. What's up, everyone? It's a very busy day over here in Texas. Rob, what's going on with you? Been doing a lot of work, a lot of hands-on activities, mainly building your father a coop for guinea hens. He got six yeah. of them. Excellent. I just I just got hired, so I start work on Monday working with uh, young boys in the system. So I'm very excited to start that. Well, we've been working in the greenhouse a little bit. We've got some lettuce. We had um, some random green thing pop up that we didn't know what it was and figured out it's probably Russian kale, which we never planted. Yeah. (laughs) It came all the way from Russia? Somehow. How did you identify that strain of kale? I took a picture of it and I posted it in a homesteading group on Facebook and I said, what is this? Yeah, and they said, oh, it's it's Russian kale. So I Googled Russian kale and, and it's it's Russian kale. You were on point about that creepy bug that we saw in the window the other day. Yeah, I know my stuff. <laughs> what is it called? Assassin beetle. Oh, I was going to say invader beetle. Well, screens, you guys, where do we even begin with that? They've become a lifeline especially during COVID season, a powerful tool that can be used for both good and we'll say like the Darth Vader kind of bad. And you know that I like to start off with some questions. So Rob, this question is for you. When you think back to early childhood, what is the first commercial that you ever saw? That's a tough one. I think it was L'Oreal Kids Shampoo. Yes, tear free. The one that was like, New strawberry smoothie shampoo, because <laughs> we're worth it, too. The first commercial I can conceive was a toy commercial, and I honestly can't remember the toy, but I know it was a Batman <laughs> toy. Batman! Yes, we needed that. With two new batarangs, one in each hand, click his shoulder to release it. I would buy the f- out of that. <laughs> <laughs> I was in Germany at the time, so I was watching German TV, and uh, it was probably <laughs> there. I, I can't remember, honestly. Something about a, a wunderbar kinder egg? Whoa. That's actually probably what it was. I it was loved something those similar. things. Why did they have to take the toys out of the kinder eggs? Come on. Watch mm. your kids while they put together mini trains, please. My first commercial that I saw was <laughs> Rooms to Go. Decorating's easy at rooms to go. So now whenever I see it, I get really excited. And then that song gets stuck in my head all day. When did you get your first cell phone? I was 13 years old and it was a Motorola and it was prepaid. It was not a color screen and I didn't have it very long. I actually bought a secondhand Nokia from my friend's brother when he was upgrading because I really <laughs> wanted to have a Nokia like everyone else in place. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Rob? What was your first phone? I just remember I had a red faceplate, and I got it when I was 14. I was in eighth grade when I lived in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas with my father, and the only reason I had it was so I can call my father because that would be the only way to contact him. It was a Nokia. Like, you know those Nokia bricks? It's about eighth grade, and the reason is because of the importance of communication, and that, that was a great technological advance. Before, 
cell phones were only in like expensive cars. So the fact that anybody could own a cell phone, that's pretty dope. Even even a kid in eighth grade, that's pretty awesome. I only had a quarter brick, half a brick. Hey. Hey. Go ahead, Tina. Hey. Okay. Nico, weren't we both in Korea when we first got our first cell phones? No, I was in I was in even yeah. Kansas. My next my second cell phone though was in Korea. You guys ever watch that uh movie Zoolander? And like Absolutely. he he and he pulls out his phone and he's like, <laughs> like that little ass phone. Like that's what my second phone was. It was like that big, like an inch and a half, and then it would slide open and I'd be able to answer. It was this little old thing. It was smaller than an than an eighties, nineties beeper. It was smaller than that. Living in Korea. Yeah, we had the dopest technology before America got it within 10 years. We had phones that would ring up to your house in 2004 with the person's face on it. And you can, we had these vacuums that weren't even vacuums. You could just screw it into your wall and vacuum your whole house and heated floors and all kinds of cool stuff. I loved living in Korea. I lived in an LG apartment, actually. Smart apartment. And a, yes. A smart <laughs> What? Smart yes, a, a smart as as Nico just said. So <laughs> I tried something like that. Some, a, smart, a smart a smart something. Pint. Yeah, it's something like that. That's a that's a tough one. Growing up, Dawn, what was your favorite TV show? What age? The pivotal point in your entire adolescence. What was your favorite TV show? Because I know mine was Degrassi. Oh, mine was South Park. South Park. It was very frowned upon by my mother. The volume's super low because we only had to be in the living room. I was never a huge South Park fan myself because the only character I liked was Butters. I'm always rooting for the underdog. Rob, how about you? What was your favorite TV show? I never watched Degrassi, not one time. Me neither. Is that weird? To me. I was kind of thinking more earlier childhood. I was going to say Arthur. Okay. Or the magic school bus. But if we're talking later... Memorable one was Dexter's Laboratory. Yes. Oh. That was a one-of-a-kind show. What about Johnny Bravo? That too. I miss those days. (laughs) (laughs) I really loved Hey Arnold. I loved all Nickelodeon. I remember Arthur, though. A-A-R-D-V-A-R-K. That's how I learned how to spell aardvark. You know, I actually watched that, Tripping on Acid. It was kind of creepy. There was a lot of bullying going on. The dialogue of the characters was just yeah. feeding people insecurities. Or wow. maybe you're just tripping it. hard. No, I realized it because I was tripping so hard. And that, I feel like, ruined people's heads, those types of shows. Yeah, Dawn? I feel like the the psychedelic awareness tapped you into like this deeper level of the show and the writer's emotions yeah. that were coming through. That's very enlightening. The real intent, yeah. yes. The subliminals of this show that were very apparent. And I was like, why did my parents let me watch this? Were they, <laughs> they listening had no to idea. what they're saying? I'm sure. I'm sure they I'm sure literally they had didn't. had no idea. Yeah, they, there's so many subliminal messages in everything you watch. And even now, it's it's so much worse. So I really wanted to delve into this Google patent thing that we've all been reading about and Donnie brought up. They do have extensive research that alludes to the fact that they have tested on people and found that images at a certain frequency hits the skin and then it transfers to the nervous system and interrupts 
the circadian rhythms of mammals and it crosses into the brain from the nerves and stimulates, excites, or otherwise alters yeah. your, your responses. Rob, what do you think about that? Sounds a lot like screens in general. That's so, what they do. The, the studies that you're talking about, do they coincide with Project Paperclip during World War II? I've not heard about that. It's declassified. They yeah. mastered mind control techniques that can program you. And that's pretty much where all of this generation's programming comes from. It stems from that. That's when they did all of the research and teamed up with the smartest people during that time. And still today, the Nazi scientists, that's where they got all of this technology ideal from. Neuroplasticity is a change in neural pathways and synapses that occurs due to certain factors like your behavior, your environment, your neural processes. So basically... When we're looking at the internet, looking at our screens, looking at our phones, looking at whatever, looking at porn, just kidding, they change and adapt and they engage in this thing called synaptic pruning or deleting what's no longer necessary or useful for your brain, <clears throat> strengthening the necessary ones. So out the window goes what we all know as the reptilian brain. That's our primal hunter-gatherer brain, like... Goodbye, hunter-gatherer. Hello, meme-gatherer. It really seems like an intrinsic part of the human mind where if you think about a tribal setting and you relocate from one area to another and say the biology is different, right? There's different animals and plants. Now you have to learn new information and be able to pass it along. So where a species didn't follow you or didn't exist in a new valley, for instance, that information might not be so important anymore for you to pass on to the next generation. So I thought it was really cool that it has a way to manipulate neurons. Now, I know this is going to come way in left field because it's where my mind took me. So uh, the superpower that my twin brother wants is how to be able to control the nervous system. And it's interesting that screens that emanate at a certain frequency and dependency of the distance, right? Like those impact how the nerves are, the nerves are manipulated. I thought that was really cool. And I thought it, it was very in line to what my twin brother's uh, superpower was. And it's interesting, like what can we do with this patent to progress forward? Enhance ourselves, improve humanity. Like, I know that's crazy. That's insane. Like, how can we do that? But I would rather take that approach to seeing a patent like this than assuming this patent was created so masses can be manipulated by the global elite kind of concept. I would rather approach it from the, wow, this is an awesome patent. What can I do with this? What can somebody I know do with this to improve humanity? That's what I would want it to be used for as well. I want that, but I know that that's not what it was designed for, and I know that's not what it's being used for. I don't think these Google billionaire CEO entrepreneurs are using it for the betterment of humanity whatsoever. Look at how we know what the human body looks like, right? The reason with that we know that is because there were some pretty ethically negative things that were happening to learn about the human body. Like people were digging up graves to cut open cadavers so we could understand what body looks like. The deontological action of how we got there is worth assessing always, right? The assessment of why this patent was created is definitely worth assessing. 
I think that the superpowers of this world are okay with showing us and giving diagrams to us about how the nervous system works. And I think they can feel comfortable with that and still being in control of the masses. But I don't think that they would give us a superpower in order to control the nervous system and be okay with trusting that the balance of power is still going to be in their hands. In neuroimaging, the neuroimaging of frequent internet users showed two times as much activity in their short-term memory as sporadic users do during online tasks. Our brain is learning to disregard the information that we find online, and this connection becomes stronger every time we experience it. I feel like this ties into the whole patent thing. They wanted us to be online more, and guess what? We did get online more. In 2001, that's when the Google patent was filed to have their permission granted, which took effect in January 2003. Does everybody remember where they were in 2001 and what was happening? That was around 9-11, wasn't it? Exactly. Yes, they wanted us to be on the internet. I feel like perhaps there's something deeper here. It's pretty weird, you guys. I looked it up on Wikipedia. I looked up January 2003. And the only thing on Wikipedia, and I quote, January 2003 was the first month of that common year. And then there's nothing else on the page. That thing happened? A lot of things were happening, including 50 Cent coming out with Into Club. <laughs> the month the world went dark. What, the common year? The year that we all got Google patented? Certain monitors can admit electromagnetic field pulses that excite a sensory resonance in a nearby subject through image pulses that are so weak as to be subliminal. This is unfortunate since it opens a way for mischievous application of the invention, whereby people are exposed unknowingly to manipulation of their nervous system for someone else's purpose. Such application would be unethical and is, of course, not advocated. It is mentioned here in order to alert the public to the possibility of covert abuse that may occur while being online, while watching TV, a video or a DVD. Now, how hard do you think they were trying to alert the public if they've buried it in this fine print of this patent? It sounds like the description of what 5G is going to be. They were trying to cover their bums. Yes, here. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were like, we don't condone this, but it is allowed. Yet here's all the research. Here's how to do it. Here are all the formulas relating. Here are diagrams. Oh, by the way, you shouldn't do this. It looked like the diagram that they had displayed on the Google website looked identical to an MP3 player. Well, this patent is apparently in effect until 2021. That's that's the information that I have with that when it comes to years and timelines, which is pretty creepy considering everything going on and everything that was going on in 2001 when it was first filed. I just want to point out what smartphones do to the body and that the constant alerts that we get, they jolt our stress hormones, which ignites the, the fight or flight response. Our heartbeat starts to quicken. Our sweat yeah. glands open up. Our muscles contract. And our breathing tightens. And this switches on when our body thinks that we're in danger. That shouldn't be the same response that we get when we need to answer a text message or a call. Yes, John? I definitely agree. We've noticed recently that social media tends to make us angry even when we're looking at good things 
And I've noticed that it doesn't matter how many good things or nice things or funny things I see. If I see something that even remotely irritates me, I get very angry. And the other thing that I've noticed recently is that when I look at my phone for maybe 15 to 20 minutes uninterrupted, I start getting very hungry. Really? Yes, Rob? I get really depressed right away. When I used to play video games frequently, one of my bosses, when I used to detail boats, he said to my coworker that I, he felt like I had video game brain. I think it is more obvious from other people's perspectives when we are ingrained into our technology, the effects that it has on us and how we appear to be to other people. In our previous episode about marijuana and and its effects on us rob you mentioned that you used to smoke a lot of weed when you were playing video games and so now you're saying when you played video games that you you were getting depressed and and it leads me to believe that you were probably medicating it at the time and and maybe Mm -hmm. didn't even realize and Mm. also i think you know the heightened sense of how you feel when you smoke weed clashes with the openness that you feel when you're playing the video games and you're susceptible to, like you said, this radiation, I guess, these electromagnetic frequencies. That did put me into a depression more, but it's also addictive, so I'm feeding into it kind of like any drug. Into but two I addictions. Think a, little, a little bit more powerful than a substance that you would perceive to be a drug. I broke out of the spell, and I was like, babe, we this is crazy. What are we <laughs> We need to stop playing this game right now. I'm so glad the PS4 is broken. (laughs) I want to point out that the two or three times I switched from smartphone to flip phone, I did it for about a year in blocks of a year at a time. And I have never been so happy and free in my life. I think what sparked it was I broke my phone and then I got a flip phone. I was like, I don't want to spend a whole bunch of money on this phone. Probably still making payments on or something. (laughs) So I got the flip phone and I was like, damn, this sucks. But after a few days, I was like, this is amazing. I'm actually focusing on other things. It's not taking away my attention to something else. We're not made to be multitaskers. So when you fragment your attention all the time and you get these quick responses to a device that's also attacking your nervous system, really, really can impact you because you're doing it all day, back and forth, attention here, attention there with the radiation. I didn't realize how much of an impact it was until I switched to the flip phone. My brain wasn't in a twist into this system that puts you in a trance. What do you think is important for us to pass on to the next generation? We'll start with you, Rob. To pass on a certain value system that is kind of being diminished by technology. You and I both know morals and values, but I can't say that for the rest of society. And I'm really curious to see what the next generation is going to pass on to their kids and what that generation is going to pass on to their kids. Because our nervous system and our minds are going to be completely abolished by that point if we continue on the path that we are in this post-technological age. Because AI is coming out, and I don't think that's a good thing. It is really scary if you try to think about the future. And I think a lot of people push that to the back of their minds and don't really mm, think they don't about it. Think, yeah, they don't no. want to. They don't want to. It's Dawn, too much. What do, you, what do you have to say about this? Well, I think you're right about people not wanting to think ahead that far. But I think between this entire COVID global lockdown slash economy destruction 
And the fact that in our generation, a lot of people are parents, we have to think about it. And I think that the most important thing to pass on is knowledge to our children about how to meet their own basic needs and not rely on a government or a, a massive system that is completely disconnected from the, the people that it actually serves. So how to grow your own food it includes animal husbandry as well, how to preserve your food. How right, we're not marrying the animals, right? Yes. <laughs> how to provide your own shelter, how to protect yourself, food, water, fire, these things. And then yes. everything else that comes is stories. And that has never changed in the history of the human being. We've always had stories to pass down. That's where yeah. traditions come from. A tradition is something that you do for three generations. Once it's passed from one generation two down it becomes a tradition and you make traditions meaningful with stories and if we're constantly absorbing a shallow story like in the form of a movie or a tv show and then or a meme or a meme and then immediately dumping the information to absorb the next thing that's exactly like it we're taking up that space right our neuroplasticity becomes attuned to these things instead of the actual stories that need to be passed on that yes. carry knowledge with them. This is pretty much on us to pass on to the next generation and to provide good leadership to the children that we have and the children that they affect within their six degrees of separation to help in as many ways as possible everybody that our own children connect with and how their stories they hear from us get passed to a kid that takes it and accepts it and wants that better world if things start to turn into a dystopian future which i personally believe that is what this is becoming all of these applications and tech companies are pushing these devices that are hardwiring our needs for security and social integration. They're rewiring our brains. And Dawn, I just want to know what you think a parent should do that is woke, so to speak, or <laughs> informed, has wisdom and knowledge, but doesn't really have the funds or the time to educate their mm. offspring or their next of kin about these things that we know about and the the resources needed to make fire or plant a garden and be self-sustainable, in a sense, be off the grid, on the grid. How does one go about doing that? Yeah, great question. It's a multifaceted question because going forward, we still have to teach and impart knowledge about screens and the internet and how they affect us, but also how we can use them to connect to other people in a meaningful way. And through that, we should take whatever we can and use whatever time we have. I, I personally don't think that most people don't have time. Like if you say you don't have time to teach your children something, then you probably either have your priorities messed up or you don't actually understand Care. time because we have the same amount of time in our day as you know a janitor or a ceo like we can choose how we use our 24 hours yes and if you have children i think it's very important that if you don't have the skills that you want them to learn you can find networks of people which we know how to do that we know how to find people that know these things whether it's through social media groups or local communities there are a multitude of ways of reaching out even if you just google a nearby farm where they have tours and children's programs you can go to the library there are scouting programs to 
choose from if you don't like one or the other's philosophy. There are people within our communities that have the ability to teach children how to build fire, how to build a shelter. We have a really fantastic set of homeschooling networks in our country now. They include preppers, they include homesteaders. Even finding an old homestead with friendly steward that is willing to teach you things in exchange for an extra set of hands on the farm. For instance, there's an old program in our country called WOOF, and it's actually W-O-O-F-F, I, th- I think. WOOF, But it's essentially a program where you can apply to be a farm hand on the farm of your choice. Each farm has its own rules when they enter the program. You go and you stay at the farm in exchange for working on the farm. And when you leave, you leave with knowledge because that's the goal is for you to Very learn cool. How to set up your own farm or how to help a cow give birth or whatever it may be. That's the future that I see is one where we connect to each other as people and actually exchange important knowledge instead of just dumb memes and arguing back and forth over politics oh, yes. or some other thing that is so far removed from our actual experience that it helps the next generation instead of hurts them. Right. And with our neurons firing at the speed of a freaking jackhammer times a million, do you think that the way that the world is going at this point is the end of us being quote unquote truly human? Because it seems like we have sort of been developing a hive mind slowly over time and all of these things that we want for ourselves and for the children that we have and for their generation next I see them becoming slaves even more so than us to their screens with the overwhelming amounts of information that's just completely useless and our stories not really making it dawn. There's a lot of conversation in the in the spiritual community about coming from the heart center. You know, we all have chakras. We have an electromagnetic field around us and the different areas of our electromagnetic field do different things. Now, this is not taught and this is highly manipulated in our society. For instance, the Google patent. But the strongest part of this is that we live largely in our brains. But the most important part of our electromagnetic field is in our heart center. The heart chakra is what connects you to other people. It's unity consciousness. So when you remove your focus from your brain and move it down into your heart center, you connect to other people and then you connect to the collective and send out healing in an attempt to raise the vibration so that we can all experience this together. And I think that the internet is an attempt to mimic that system and override it so that that's the only option to connect with other people. This is why civilizations around the world, you know, have been meditating for thousands of years because they know that they when they connect to their heart center, they raise the vibration of themselves and the people around them. And that, I think that the further we go down this path of technology, of screens, of AI, internet connections, 5G, etc., we go further and further away from that. It's never lost. It's still there. We still have the ability to go back. I do agree with all that. I think that we're transmutating with technology and we are dulling ourselves out being caught up in your mind and your ego and just being aware of those thoughts and having that inner consciousness that can kind of shine a spotlight on the thoughts that we're having that the internet definitely impacts and speeds up. 
our monkey brain. I think that just having that awareness is being in tune with your deeper consciousness. And the more that we do that, the more that we allow our actual selves to shine the focus on our duality, which is the human condition of having this ego, the more we have the awareness of that, the more that we can separate ourselves and really be in tune with our higher selves. I just think that's a basic aspect of who we are, regardless of what man-made term you coin that as. I think that that's important. We all have these weapons in our arsenal that can combat these horrible technological tremors that we're exposed to every day. And that's what we should pass down to our children. It's a spiritual cosmic battle of good and evil. Right. And evil is this colossal monstrosity in the form of the internet and technology. But we can protect ourselves and our family from it if we have knowledge and wisdom that we share with them. It's almost like it's a a war between how many screens we can put between our eyes and the wall or some people's cases the ceiling. I don't know how many how many people have their TVs mounted, etc. But fun fact, we blink up as much while looking at our screens than not. So no wonder our eyeballs always hurt. Who here has <laughs> their brightness? I am so weird about this. Their brightness on their phones turned like almost all the way down at all times. I can consider myself one of those people. Do you guys do that as well? Oh, yeah. I do. Absolutely. If there's a night option, I use it all day long, not just at night. Same here. You know, where you can make it dark or whatever. For the sake yeah. of our circadian rhythms. Yeah, actually, exactly. There is a reason for not having your screen brightness all the way up. And like we've said in past conversations with all of us here, it's very annoying. For example, me and Dawn were speaking about this when it was one of our peeves. When our friends or family around us are just staring at their phones. Well, look at their faces. If their face is lit up by that screen, you know their brightness is all the way up. In my house, we have one TV. We do not have cable. Only only boobers buy cable. You know, it's a joke. But it's- I remember that from Peeves. Peeves. We don't have our TV in our living room. And most likely when we move in the future here very soon, we're not going to have our TV in the main living room either. We have our TV downstairs in our basement den. We also have a rule, at least currently, that there is no screen usage before 9 a.m. Until dawn gets on. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Nico. That reminds me of Bartleby the Scribner. That's by Herman Melville. The reason it does is it talks about how man is looking at at a piece of paper all day and writing and writing and writing and and he's disconnected from nature, right? The only form of nature they have is a window in in the wall. It's a window that points to another brick wall, right? So this disconnection from man-made technology There is, for lack of a better term, a meme that's there that when we're closer to our technological advances, so not just the pencil to paper, we also can consider any screens in front of us. still disconnecting us from that nature that we've already had before. We still need that connection because when that happens, that's when humans go stir crazy in their humanity. Right. Dawn? I love that. That's a really good point. And I think about this a lot and it comes up in my healing sessions with people. I can tell by their energy whether or not they are fully connected to nature, how much nature they need, what kind of nature they need. Do they need 
sounds of running water? Do they need to climb a mountain? Do they need to go into the woods or be in a meadow? These are really important parts of being human. And there was a quote, and I don't know who it was by, unfortunately, but it was along the lines of, our bodies are less meant to sit at a desk for hours on end than they are meant to dance upon the earth. Sounds like E.E. Cummings. I feel as if... Us even just being here and doing a podcast and focusing on one thing at a time rather than having our brains overridden with reading everybody else's news feeds is almost as close of a connection to true human nature when our videos are even off than what most people are actually getting. Yes, Rob? One of my best friends, he's an old friend. His status yesterday said, I'm tired of all of the police brutality, political coronavirus, etc. Like anything important, memes or statuses. I just want to see funny, stupid memes. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was an amazing representation of mm-hmm. what we are, what we like, what Facebook is, what social media is. As a is. whole, you mean? As not a as whole. Just individually. As a humanity, that was a good representation of who we've become. I think definitely taking into consideration, right, any distraction or the distraction that we want to spend our times of relaxation in, right? He doesn't want to see more contentiousness as he's trying to pull his mind away from contentiousness. He wants to see something that's funny. Uh, He wants to see cat memes, freaking need need a cheeseburger. I forgot what that original cat meme. Cheeseburger. Yeah, cat has cheeseburger. Do you guys remember MySpace and having to completely learn HTML under the age of 13? No. I remember having my top friends and having to adjust my top friends and a lot of jealousy involved with that. You had to do the borders and stuff. Like You had to do the accent BR and accent equals. I just copy-pasted like a Kanye West album art cover to my background. (laughs) I would just copy-paste it. Uh, somewhere so, you just go to myspace backgrounds could, and google and you got you got your background you don't got to be a wizard yeah they made themes for you <laughs> to just copy paste that's I what did i did not they did it for I just, you i learned all of the html which thank god because uh we'd be screwed on our current platform which is podbean and to wrap this all up everyone we are now on podbean we're loving it so thank you to everybody that has ever listened to us and is going to continue to listen to us. Please follow us on Podbean. You can check us out on Facebook. We are facebook.com slash psychedelic comrades. And it's spelled psychedelic like psychedelic mushrooms, but it's not. We are delving into the psyche. A lot of people get that confused. Tina out. Rob out. Nico out. Dawn out. Love you guys. <laughs>
Net neutrality is the principle that internet service providers should enable access to all content and applications regardless of the source and without favoring or blocking particular websites or products. So basically, don't censor the internet. The first breach of net neutrality happens in 2005. A North Carolina service provider started blocking people's phone calls. I don't know why they would do that, but they got fined by the FCC. And in 2008, Comcast started to restrain people from using BitTorrent, which is peer-to-peer -peer file sharing over the internet, kind of like LimeWire. I'm sure everybody remembers that. That was great. Don't have it anymore, and you can see why. So the FCC ordered them to stop, and Comcast sues them, and they win. It was successful. They argued that they could do whatever they wanted. They can slow down people's internet connections, they can censor certain websites, and they can prevent people from downloading files, and they thought that was just. 2009, Apple got caught blocking iPhone users from making Skype calls through AT&T. That's silly. In 2015, the FCC tried to reinforce net neutrality and solidify it as something of importance and to remind ISPs not to block or prioritize any internet traffic. But in 2017, they scrapped it and they said all broadband providers can block or they can throttle any content as they see fit. In 2018, they repealed net neutrality completely. Gone. Bye bye. So now we have censorship, guys, and I'm sure most of you have noticed that. I hope you have. If not, you're asleep. So when we had net neutrality, just imagine a, a simple multi-lane highway or freeway. Everybody gets to drive the same speed. All lanes are the same, and any vehicle can drive in any lane, regardless of the year, make, and model of their car or the amount of people in their car. Fast forward to when people started breaching that agreement. Just think of all those being allowed on the highway but not Mitsubishi's. Now let's go in depth a little more. Later, the highway is not required to treat everyone the same and there's restrictions on specific vehicles everywhere. For example, one vehicle may be allowed to use only the right lanes and smaller vehicles like bikes or scooters might be banned altogether. And I'm okay with that in terms of traffic because I don't want to drive behind somebody riding a tricycle on the freeway. To go even more in depth, this power can be abused and taken to extremes. So imagine whoever runs that highway creates more controversial rules, drastically favoring certain vehicles with no benefit to the public. For example, what if certain vehicles are allowed to just zoom by, just dust other cars in the fast lane during rush hour with no speed limit, no congestion or traffic. If they pay, say, 25 grand in a fee that's out of reach of most people i know and small businesses to make the analogy more clear maybe the gatekeepers of the highway they might make an extremely arbitrary rule that only 18 wheelers owned by certain insider companies are allowed to use the highway at all and this severs the ties for any competition so those 18-wheelers are the corporate media mammoths we see, like Comcast and Viacom. And that just illustrates this massive media buyout acquisition that we see today.